first and foremost, like I'm a first generation Chinese American. Uh, I was born in China. I moved to America when I was four years old. So I would say uh, my immigrant experience has a huge impact in terms of how I think about finance, how I think about money, uh, building wealth. Um, you know, I think some of my earliest memories uh, were related to the financial situation my family was in. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. This episode is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my coaching practice where I help people find their purpose, take creative risks, and define leadership on their own terms. If you're curious, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co. Hi there, this is Lisa. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. It is a conversation with Deanna Dong, VP of Marketing at Wealthfront. Um, she's going to share her the story of her career path and also her evolving personal relationship to this concept of building wealth. Uh, I also wanted to note that this conversation was recorded before the pandemic, so you may notice a conspicuous absence of conversation about current events. Hello, Deanna, and welcome to Should We? Hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you. Um, I think, as you know, I've really been wanting to do an episode on this should we question, should we build wealth? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just thought you would be the perfect person to unpack this with. Um, and the reason I've been thinking a lot about this question is that, um, first of all, I, I love when we do uh, episodes about money on this podcast and so do our listeners. Um, and also just this phrase, build wealth. Mm. I was not familiar with it until I was an adult, like well into my career. I didn't really grow up with much financial literacy, except the idea that you should save. Mm-hmm. Um, and so building wealth is kind of like, uh, you know, a curious, concept for me. And um, I'm really curious to hear from you, like, like what, what, how has your perspective on money and, and this concept of building wealth evolved? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm so happy to be here and talk about this with you. Um, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> it's a little hard to know even where to start. Um, but I think um, in terms of how kind of that term, what building wealth means to me and how it's evolved over time. Um, I would say first and foremost, like I'm a first generation Chinese American. Uh, I was born in China. I moved to America when I was four years old. So I would say, uh, my immigrant experience has a huge impact in terms of how I think about finance, how I think about money, uh, building wealth. Um, you know, I think some of my earliest memories, uh, were related to 
the financial situation my family was in. So uh, I have like distinct memories of going to the grocery store. And actually, my parents explained to me when I was like five or six that, you know, we're not going to buy the name brand cereal. We're actually going to save money and buy this other kind of generic brand. Right. And so I think the value of money and what it meant to have money, what it meant to save uh, was just ingrained in me from a very young age. Uh, And I think my relationship with money has generally uh, started from that place of more, I would say, scarcity. Um, And as I went to college, uh, my first job out of college, I worked in finance and um, a lot of, uh, I think back then I didn't have this uh, intuition to like follow my passions or follow my dream. It was definitely very practical. So I went to work on Wall Street and a lot of that was so that I could make great income. Um, But then I think, you know, as I've kind of grown in my career, and have built more wealth over time, that relationship with money then shifted again. So uh, I was able to leave uh, finance in New York and Wall Street because it really wasn't something that made me very happy. And I ended up kind of moving to the Bay Area to work in tech to try something completely different. And now even more recently, uh, I took some time off from work where I was making no income to go on a six-month world trip. That just happened last year. Um, And so I've over time been fortunate enough uh, where money doesn't have to be the ends in, end all for me and really just a means to living the life I want. Um, and so, yeah, I would say like that kind of relationship with wealth and um, what it means and how I use it has definitely changed a ton. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's so much to dig into there. And I'm also uh, realizing like that we have these particular overlaps in our path. Mm. Like I think that we overlapped um, at Harvard during undergrad, although we we didn't know each other, we overlapped a little bit at Dropbox, and mm-hmm. so like similar, you know, time frames. And I'm and sort of curious, like because of graduating around the time of the the um, Great Recession, how did that ex- affect your experience working on Wall Street? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. It's so funny because I was, you know, I graduated in 2008. I was fortunate enough where I had interned at the the investment bank I was working in the summer before. So my job was kind of like, I had that offer coming back. Um, But I remember even being in training and uh, during the break, going into like the coffee break room and on TV, like on CNN, seeing people literally like leaving Lehman Brothers and all that like dramatic footage of like young professionals leaving the building. And um, so it's so funny now in today's age to think back on that time and, you know, realize what a big uh, kind of crucial event it was for so many people in our generation, so many millennials. But at that time, I think you're just kind of living through it and just felt so fortunate to have a job. Um, But, oh, wow, I got into finance like before things are so crazy and things got so competitive and just kind of like apocalyptic in terms of that landscape. But I do mm. think like part of me feels really fortunate because there were so many stories of like the heydays, like the eighties and the nineties and, you know, how things are portrayed on Wolf of Wall Street, just all this excess and all this kind of um, greed and money that was just really was within the fingertips of people who worked in the industry. By the time I got there, like very much the mood was like the best days are over. It's going to be harder and harder to like make these really fat bonuses, which is what everyone kind of comes here thinking they can make. And there was definitely not that same exuberance and like, I don't know, just this like a complete kind of like Wild West feeling of what you could get. 
Um, and so I think it kind of ingrained in me never to like overly index on making money as the reason for why I was there. Right. There just wasn't as much that like these bags of gold available for you to grab. So it was much more like, Oh, do I actually feel like I'm learning a ton? Do I feel like I'm getting, um, you know, a sense of accomplishment and my meeting people that I enjoy kind of working with. And I think it was actually a, a blessing in disguise in certain ways that allowed me to not um, kind of get sucked up into a lot of those uh, mm-hmm. kind of themes of, of greed and making money and chasing money that was very rampant in the industry, even five years before I got there. Got it. Got it. So it seems like you were able to go into it with like, still th- that there was that priority of like, you know, wanting to avoid scarcity and find abundance in, uh, in terms of money, but with all, with other supporting priorities too. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, what was it like for you deciding to leave? deciding to listen to something else in your heart? <laughs> well, it was so difficult. I, I worked on Wall Street for four years. Um, I worked in sales and trading, um, which is, I think, more of the type of the Wolf of Wall Street type. Like, there's traders and there's, you know, computer screens everywhere and you're watching stock tickers day in, day out. Um, so it's that kind of energy. Um, it was really, really hard. I think if you're an immigrant, if you grew up with that kind of understanding of your family's finances, it becomes something very ingrained in you to be like achievement oriented, to go for things that kind of give you financial security. It all makes a ton of sense. Um, But I just realized that like, I looked around and I saw people who worked, uh, you know, whether it was on my team or in my department, who were just not happy. Like they were kind of chasing the money and chasing the accomplishments they could get at work. And they were just kind of miserable or angry or unhappy. And I also noticed the people who seemed to enjoy the jobs the most, like they, they truly loved the financial market. They loved, mm. you know, making sure they knew what happened with the S&P every single day. They had stock picks that they wanted to talk about. And I didn't have anything to say about those topics. So it just didn't seem like the right place for, for me to be spending so much of my time and my energy and my brain cells. Like if I wasn't even intrigued by the topic. Um, but once I decided it was a huge kind of process, my parents, you know, I, I'm an immigrant. I really like do value their approval so much. So I think for about four months, like we would talk on the phone every weekend and get into crazy, huge fights where we would debate whether or not it'd be okay for me to quit my job. And, uh, it took me about four months. And like, I looked up recently the email I sent my dad and it's like, I don't know, it's like a 2000 word long email where I was like, really just like, I need your approval before I'll do it. And then in the end they did. And what was so crazy at that time is I didn't even go straight to tech or like Silicon Valley. I actually thought I wanted to work in food. So I was doing an unpaid um, editorial internship at this industry publication, making no money living in New York. And that was kind of the next step that I had kind of proposed to them. So it, it was definitely a pretty crazy thing at the time. And um, reflecting back, I'm really kind of surprised by how much courage I had actually to do something like that. Mm, yeah. Oh my goodness. And, and I'm curious at that time where like you're working in finance and then you're, you're working in food. Um, like how were you managing your personal finance or like, like what were your thoughts at that time about, you know, building wealth, for example? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think the great thing about 
um, my upbringing as well is just from a young age, like I knew how to be a good saver. Uh, like I remember getting that first paycheck and like having a conversation with my dad and he like told me then like, Hey, you should max out your 401k, like not just, you know, put enough in there to cover, uh, the matching your company might give you for free, but you should put in like the full amount that, um, you know, you, you could put in a 401k. And I was super fortunate then to be able to do that and still kind of, um, support my lifestyle. So from a financial perspective, like those years working finance, I just was able to build up a really good emergency fund. Um, and I think the way I thought about it, it's like, I was making no income when I was working in, in, um, the food at the food magazine. And the way I thought about it, it's like, I'm super young and, um, I have some skills and I kind of was just optimistic that I would be able to make it up later. Uh, I kind of set a budget for myself of how much I could spend. I definitely like moved to like a small apartment in Brooklyn with roommates. So I would spend less uh, on my everyday spending. Um, and I kind of had a sense of like a time frame. I think I ended up only <laughs> doing the unpaid internship for about four months before um, I ended up like finding a job at, at Dropbox and moving to San Francisco. So in the grand scheme of things, it was kind of going to be like a limited time, uh, time box kind of exploration for me. So uh, it was kind of feasible financially. For me. Mm. Yeah. And I love that, that idea of like the time box exploration mm -hmm. and that the way that it sounds like you were able to give yourself a chance to experiment, to like really immerse yourself in a different life and different work. Um, and you, you had a plan, like you had some clear, um, like a, a clear sandbox that you created for yourself to play in. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just, you know, uh, maybe part of it was like graduating and joining the workforce around the Great Recession. But I think um, sometimes like people of our generation are just like, uh, do um, lean towards having financial security and job security and all that super practical, important and makes sense. But I do think like giving yourself opportunities to explore, experiment, as you say, try different things is so important because now I know that I'm not going to have like a midlife crisis at like 40, where I decide I want to be a chef. Like during when I was 26, I went and did that, right? Like I kind of um, checked out a bunch of culinary schools to see if I wanted to go. I was meeting all sorts of people in the industry, like people in PR, people who were like me and working at magazines and journalism, actually people who ran restaurants, chefs, like all these different uh, kind of jobs within the industry. And I knew that that wasn't going to be for me. Um, and I just love this idea in life of like crossing things off your list. Like I never feel like doing something that you don't end up loving or think is the right choice long-term is a bad thing, right? I think we all have these like checklists or, you know, bucket lists of things we want. And I actually think taking opportunities, especially when you're younger, earlier in your career, um, to be able to cross things off your list is actually awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it reminds me of this thing that Diana and I often say, which is touch the dream. Mm. Like, <laughs> like if there's something you're craving, like, how can you just, how can you just touch it? You don't have to yeah. like commit to it for life, but just see about it, you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so you you completed that experiment and then headed west. Mm -hmm. Um I'm curious, like like what informed that decision? Uh nothing, I would say. 
I, uh, I knew nothing about Silicon Valley. I knew nothing about tech. I just really, uh, was sure that I didn't want to continue, um, trying to break into the culinary or food journalism industry. So I really just was applying a bunch of jobs through, uh, alumni network, uh, job sites through job boards, through friend of friends, um, ref- referred job postings. And, you know, I just, it was really just a kind of a happy coincidence. Uh, Dropbox wanted to hire me uh, to to be an account executive, even though I'd never really sold uh, software. I don't even think I knew what SaaS was. Um, and I kind of just went with it. I was like, I'll try something different. Um, I'm ready for a new city. And if I hate it, I'll just move back to New York and, you know, not the end of the world. So I kind of just made that switch a bit without too much thinking, I would say. Mhm mhm and and it can be so t- helpful too to have that perspective of like like what are what, what are my options like um you know it, I'm going to try this experiment what are some possibilities for other things that could happen if if it doesn't work out you know can can you go back or forward or adjacent sometimes you know going all the way with the like you know Maybe I will only do this for a little while, and realizing that you'll have op- you have options now and you have options later too, can kind of take some of the, I don't know, some of the fear and some of the spikiness out of taking a leap like that. I think. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think for me, like, and this is just my personality, I much more want to move forward or move. Uh, to be moving than to be stuck. So um, to me, it was worse to stay in New York, keep doing something I didn't really want to be doing, uh, whether that was the food magazine or finance. For me, just like forward motion of any type is better. So, And I'm curious, like, how did you know that you didn't want to do food? Mm, uh, I think... You know, I think it's so interesting about like jobs and careers. I don't really think in college, I mean, definitely not at Harvard or I imagine a liberal arts school. I don't think they really teach you like what, how to figure out what you'd be happy doing like professionally. So food was something I love, like spending my free time on. Like I love cooking. I love like watching food shows. I think it's a pretty common kind of like, uh, you know, dream that people want to touch. But what I realized is that like I, the the subject matter itself is not something engaging enough for me to want to spend all my time uh, in a career on, right? Like food as a concept or, you know, uh, the culinary industry, celebrity chefs, all that, that's not enough topically. Uh, It's not top, being interested in it topically isn't enough for me. Like I really needed to find problems that I enjoyed solving and like um, the type of work that actually like would make me passionate to spend a lot of time thinking through. Um, and that uh, I, I knew, I didn't know what that would be, but I, I knew it wasn't what I was doing in food. So I think that gave me enough kind of conviction. Mm, yeah. And it's so interesting because I feel like um, there can be a lot of pressure in the ether and on the internet mm-hmm. to like basically turn every interest or curiosity or passion into the way that you make a living. Um, so it's so it's so great to like have that experience where you're able to distinguish like, oh, this is a passion of mine. It's not the passion I want to make a living on. Yeah, 
I, I, I agree with that so much. Um, and now I know like what place I want that like food and, you know, all like the restaurant industry and the culinary industry. I know like the place I want it to have in my life and it, it's not professionally. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. So um, there's this other, this other little tidbit that you planted as you were kind of like sharing your path about your sabbatical. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we got to go back there. <laughs> right. <let's laughs> we got to dig in. Taking time off completely from work mm-hmm. uh, seems like a, a real leap from where you began with, you know, a, a sense of scarcity around money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to. Um, it's probably one of the uh, proudest things I've ever done in my life. So, uh, last year I took a six month sabbatical from work, uh, to travel the world, uh, continuously for six months. And I think the origins there is, um, at that point I had left Dropbox. I was working at Wealthfront, a financial tech company was working in marketing. I had been there at that point, I think almost three and a half or four years. Um, I love my job there. I love what I do and I still work there now, but I knew that there was, um, I felt a little bit stuck in life, uh, which, you know, just where I was with, uh, my role there, where I was, you know, in life personally, uh, kind of how I felt about being in San Francisco. I just, it was really hard for me to like, kind of continuously maintain like a sense of joy in my day to day life. And so, uh, it was actually pretty funny because I was, somewhat inceptioned to do all this uh, because at Wealthfront, we have a financial planning experience that we offer. And one of the goals we help people plan for is actually time off to travel. And so when we marketed that launch, uh, we actually wrote a bunch of client stories um, of people who actually took time off to travel. So I got to work with a bunch of cool clients. One was a couple and actually personal friends of mine um, who took over a year off to travel together. Uh, another uh, woman quit her job to go sailing and she literally joined like a sailing, a sailboat uh, crew and had never sailed and sailed for like a year and a half. And then a third guy um, took six months off and just, you know, was volunteering in Africa. Another person uh, lived in Japan for a whole year and was like making ramen and just like all these inspirational stories of people like going through that process and feeling recharged by it and then kind of coming back to you know quote unquote real life uh, without having kind of missed out on a ton of like practical aspects of life like it was very inspiring and so in the end I after that marketing campaign and a couple months later I just realized like that's what I wanted to do um, I spoke with uh, my my boss my CEO at the time and he was very generous and kind of like understood where I was coming from and wanted to give me that space. So uh, I took the six months. Uh, I, there was like no income at that time. So from a financial perspective, it, was, it definitely felt like a, a scary thing. Um, but yeah, I had just the most amazing time on it. And now I'm back in San Francisco. I am back uh, working in marketing at Wealthfront. And I just feel like uh, it was very, very important to me to have done it. And I just feel, you know, a, a much greater sense of joy in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, and something I love about that is that um, I think so often, especially on the Internet, I'm thinking a lot about Instagram right now. <laughs> you you see people doing things that seem like like amazing, like, wow, mm-hmm. someone like took a big risk or they, you know, they quit their job and they're traveling the world or they're having a sabbatical or whatever. and you rarely know 
what was the financial story behind mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. You know, in what, when was it like just a flying leap? And um, when was it something that was planned for? Like, you know, how did that work? Um, and I'm curious for you, like, if you think about like that sabbatical, like taking that time away where you're not having income, um, and then the topic of building wealth, like how how do you think how would you connect those two things? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I think like as I alluded to before, my own personal like philosophy or relationship with money has changed a lot, right? From a a place of feeling scarcity and uh, an urgency to build wealth to one where I do feel fortunate to be able to use it as a means to like what I want to do in life. And so to me, like, um, first of all, uh, I do love the wealth from planning experience. So I do have to kind of acknowledge that, uh, what we do is like link all your financial accounts to the app. So you can have like one place to see your financial picture, both like what kind of money, where you are today across all these different accounts, 401ks, cash accounts, whatever. And then we also do projection to help you understand that, um, how much money you have over time and, uh, whether you're able to like meet your financial goals. So I have a retirement goal. Um, like I want to retire by, I think something like age 58. Um, you can set up all that to be personal to you. And I actually had a time off for travel goal where, you know, I put in there, I'm not going to make any income. This is the budget I imagine. This is the length I imagine. And even having that app um, kind of show me what that would look like in real numbers just made me a ton more comfortable with the cost, right? As you mentioned, like we see these amazing um, trips and influencers living these fantastic lives, but it's hard to kind of understand, hey, what is the actual financial cost to doing something like that, right? And it's hard to evaluate if all that uh, potential fun or upside is worth it. We don't know the cost. So I think step one, like having that visibility into all that gave me a lot of confidence. And then two, you know, obviously not making money for six months is a huge deal. And not only not making money, but steadily spending money is also a huge deal. So I think part of it is just really having a sense, um, of what I want to get out of it, like knowing what value I would get from that travel experience and really like being committed or feeling sure that that was worth it to me. Right. I ended up budgeting about three grand a month for my travels. Uh, I picked places that I felt like could fall into that budget. So it definitely was a bit more methodical and planning about it. It, it. You know, it wasn't just like I took off on a flight one day and just like let the winds take me where I wanted to go for six months. Like I, it was a bit more structured, especially with the budgeting. Um, but in the end, like to me, like that was worth it. And again, I was fortunate to be in a financial situation that allowed me to do that. Um, and of course, if I'd stayed and like kind of made money during that time, uh, my finances would look different than they do today. But uh, I think where I am in my career, I'm confident I can like make it back or it's not enough of a deal uh, for me in my day to day that it was just something I was willing to do. As you were describing um, the experience of of using Wealthfront, I, I was thinking about my own experience. Like, I, I've basically fallen in love with Wealthfront oh. because <laughs> it this it, like it wasn't until I started using the app and like seeing the projections mm-hmm. and being able to play with it. Right. Being able to even just like put in wild ideas um and just see, okay, how does this affect the long term picture of my financial health? 
being able to like do that on the fly, I felt like, oh, I can, I, I am like empowered, you know, I don't have to ask somebody like, what do you think? How do you think this would go for me (laughs) financially? I can just, I can do it myself. And then I think I had, I honestly, I had such a hard time getting excited about saving. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. it, just, it felt like, okay, so I could have a thing that I want to buy right. or I could have the money for that stuck in a bank account. Right. What? I'd rather have the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not very compelling. But once I once I was using the um the high yield savings account Mm -hmm. through Wealthfront and an actual like you know, an investment account that's not for retirement. It's like for the in between. Then I but it hit me. I was like, oh, when the interest rate is much higher than a regular savings account, um, then your your money grows and you just watch it. Yeah. Now that's a fun game. Right. And what you make, hopefully an in interest or when you invest your money and you make returns, then there's more money for you to buy more things. <laughs> right. Exactly. Where you you can... Uh, like figuring out, okay, how could I actually maybe postpone something that I need or want, but ultimately use the interest? Um, wow. Yeah. And then you get to have the thing you wanted and all the original money you started with. Exactly. You're having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I just relate with all that so much, even though I've been such a good saver all my life. Uh, I think what is just really difficult is that managing your personal finances is not something that I think our generation or even Americans are really taught at all. And I think what is so crazy is that I spent four years working in finance on Wall Street, where I was selling fixed income derivatives to hedge funds, asset managers, insurance companies, doing you know complicated modeling in Excel. And I spent every Christmas with my dad and he would make me show him all of my financial accounts. He would literally confirm for me, Hey, you don't, you haven't invested enough or Hey, you know, your 401k contribution doesn't look right. Right. And that's just, I think that's just so such an interesting uh, and kind of shocking thing. It's like I was working every day in finance and still for me managing my personal finances and having a clear path forward to building wealth. It was so unclear. Um, And I think, you know, we just don't treat it the same way we treat other elements of life. Like, I think everybody, you know, without being a doctor, understands physical health and like eating right and exercising. And nowadays, like mental health, right? Like um, seeing a therapist, doing uh, headspace, journaling, like we have such a kind of intuitive sense that that could be important, but we don't treat like the health of our wealth or whatever you want to call it in the same way at all. Um, And I just think like for me, like, uh, personal financial literacy is like never going to be enough. Like I study economics, I study statistics, I've read about all of this. And even I was someone who for years and years uh, was not investing enough of my cash. Right. And so any, I think, uh, technology or app experience that can make all of this easier for people, um, is going to be something that kind of 
truly moves the needle in terms of helping the, this generation of people like grow and optimize their money. And so that everyone can actually spend more time doing what they actually want to be doing, right? Which is spending time, you know, working or with family and friends. And um, that's how, how time should be spent. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is, this is one of those like particularly great uses of technology. Yeah. There are plenty of technology products where it's like, I don't really know if that is actually helping the world or not. <laughs> um, but when it comes to personal finance and like empowering people to understand and uh, like make um, make their own informed choices and not having to rely on like just trusting that a particular advisor or parent or Mm-hmm. Someone has their best interests in mind and can kind of make that decision for them. Like, yeah, it, it does seem like, um, it, thank goodness that te- technology can do that for us now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, um, as you mentioned, the the planning app portion of Wealthfront, kind of giving people that visibility, the data into, you know, whatever their hopes and dreams could be and what it means in dollars and cents is just so empowering, right? I think one question I'm constantly having with friends nowadays is like, oh, San Francisco, real estate market, like, do you buy a house or not here? And we have like a, a home home goal that you can set up in the app and you can literally look at, hey, if I wanted to buy in the mission, a two bedroom in three years, like, is that affordable? How much should I be saving a month to do that? And Hey, if actually was, you know, down to move somewhere else, like you moved to New Mexico, like what would that look like? And what would that cost me? And how affordable would that be? And it really allows you to kind of think through real life decisions, not as like, what ifs or, you know, should I do this or that without any data? It kind of grounds you a lot more. And I think that our kind of hope is that it actually helps people dream bigger and actually go for the things that they've been thinking about in life. And um, that's kind of the role we want to serve there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to, to bring those those two things together, like dreams and mm-hmm. like your heart and soul and what matters to you in life, your and your values together with um, your financial life, the the choices you make there and, and the process for how you manage it. I mean, so often in the past, I thought of those as very distinct realms, mm. like numbers, spreadsheets. There's there can be no heart and soul in that realm, and then like you know dreams that must that's like something else entirely. Um, but in fact, when you put them both together, is when um, you find the the greatest possibilities. I think. Wow, I love that articulation. I think I've never it's never clicked that that's what I've done in the past, but I think so. I think a lot of people bucket like finances um to be just you know rational practical like what you should be doing and hopes and dreams as things are impractical or maybe always unattainable or you know um what you shouldn't be doing and uh, yeah i've never thought about that like when you can combine those things is how you can kind of gain that forward motion to actually go for the things you want um but yeah i think that's really powerful i like that um, well, I'm curious, uh, like if you could go back and have a chat with yourself <laughs> when you were like just out of college, 
Um, is there any any advice you would give yourself or anything you wish you had known about personal finance? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, honestly, Lisa, I think it would just be like to really like take myself in my 20s by the shoulders and shake me and really be like, hey, the power of compounding is just so powerful, which I think is so funny um, because I was an economics major. I knew the math behind, you know, compounding interest or compounding returns, which is like, hey, if you can earn whatever it is, 2% or 5%, and you do that every year over 10 years, 30 years, that, that can get so big versus just waiting until the end and trying to invest as much as you can later. I mean, that is like a basic math concept that I knew, but I, even I was just never doing the right thing when it came to um, investing my money. And so it probably took me still like a year or two years after I joined Wealthfront and was working on the product day in, day out for me to start changing my own financial behaviors in that way. And so saving is a hard work, right? Like making money and saving it, not spending it on things is a hard work. And really like you have to invest it um, to kind of earn uh, a return over time and really build wealth. And if you don't really only keep it in a checking account, you're not even matching inflation. And that's just not where you want to be. And so I think that would be one thing that I wish even I knew uh, earlier in my 20s. Um, yeah. So often girls and women are socialized to around to focus on appearances, mm -hmm. which tends to cost a lot of money. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how to perfect how you look in the world. Yeah. And that's like exactly at odds with compounding interest, you know, it's like that there's another insidious way that the patriarchy oh. is getting to us. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And just the fact that you're never probably socially, culturally given opportunities to be interested in this topic in the way men probably are, right? I think there's an element to investing that's closer to like gambling or betting and um I think and risk taking in general because, you know, having your money in cash or sure how much money you have, but putting it in the stock market, which, or the, uh, in the global, like, uh, markets in general, like that is going to grow over time, but there's some volatility and ups and downs. And I think like women in general are not exposed to, you know, culturally to, to risk taking and risk taking like betting and behaviors like that, where it could just seem a lot more scary. Right. So, um, there's a lot of reasons why I think like in general, um, women may not have exposure to investing, but I actually think like there's research out there and um, you know, like that on the investing side, like females, like don't actually do worse than men. I think there's aspects of um, you know, how women um, may behave in investing, which is actually like not being as risk seeking that actually makes you a better investor. There's like research and articles out there. And so I think it's super interesting. And the more that can be like demystified or introduced to people um, all people, all young professionals earlier, like the better it is for everybody. I'm thinking, you know, as, as you're talking about that, these like ways in which uh, men and women, boys and girls are socialized around risk taking. It's like there's the one extreme that tends to seem more masculine of like intense risk taking. Mm -hmm. gambling mm -hmm. playing the stock market mm -hmm. and then there's the extreme that is often seen as more feminine of like not taking any risk and in fact there's there's the middle where like um you know if if you want to create some change you want to grow something you want to create anything including wealth 
you got to take some level of risk. And that middle that I think we've touched on so much here of, you know, thoughtful risk, some strategic risk that considers the numbers and your heart, like that's really where the sweet spot is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, for sure. There's a way to kind of um, be in that middle ground. And I definitely that's the thoughtful approach uh, is, is what gets you where you want to go. You know, we've, we've talked about like how, how you've made all of these really interesting decisions in your career and in your life. I'm curious, like, um, how did you decide to work on a financial tool and (sighs) what, what drives you there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I would have to say like similar to getting into tech, like I, uh, I don't think there was too much intent in how I chose my jobs. Uh, I didn't set out to find a job in fintech. Um, at the time, I was at Dropbox. I had been there a couple of years, mostly focused on um, business marketing, so B2B and selling to businesses. And so um, I just want to try something different. And Wealthfront was a cool consumer brand. It was doing something quite different than uh, what Dropbox was doing. And I imagined the marketing work would be really different as well. And I was just ready for that new experience. And I kind of just took that leap. Um, But I can tell you like the reasons why I've stayed for so long, which is like at this point, you know, almost five years. Um, I just really believe that like there is this gap in financial wellness in America. And and um, as I said before, I think there's definitely a gap in financial literacy, but I, I truly believe like financial literacy isn't the answer. And that's coming from uh, uh, my role in marketing, where we literally are writing blog posts that are, is giving financial advice. And we do like, you know, kind of create a ton of good content to help people like increase their financial literacy. Right. So and I say that because um I think we just can't expect every person to be an expert in taxes or be an expert in understanding passive investing and be an expert in understanding interest rates. Like that just can't be the only path forward for people to build wealth. And so I really do believe that what like we need, what millennials need is a product that makes it easy and a product that really helps them like automatically grow their money as much as they can um, and achieve the goals that they want. And I believe that that's the type of product and brand that we're building at Wealthfront. And so I just feel so passionate about that. And, um, and it's just such a fun, uh, a fun product to market that I'm just having, you know, such a blast with it. And um, that's why I'm very happy to be there today. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm as a, as a loyal customer, <laughs> I'm very, <laughs> very grateful for that work that you do. Um, and so excited to see what you'll do next. Thank you. We're so excited to have you as a, uh, a valued client as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you would like to say to our listeners before we go? Um, no, I think I just love the opportunity to share my own experience. And yeah, I think it's just, I, I believe like over time and over your life, your relationship with money, you know, can change a lot. And I, we've talked quite a bit about that. And what I think that um, is valuable is the things that you can do early, this power of compounding. So saving and investing from an early age, that will get you so much farther than saving and investing a ton later. Just the power of time does so much for you. So no matter what you end up wanting to do in life and whatever you want to figure out, whether it is something that 
um, earning you a ton of money or something that doesn't, like having those good financial habits earlier can just help kind of support you so much in, in living the life you want that, um, you know, I hope as many people as possible, uh, whether it's through Wealthfront or whatever other methods, like find that early and are able to um, have just more confidence in life. I think that that would be great. Wonderful. And also, um, uh, it's not too late. If you haven't found it early, then today is the day. Yes, yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> that it, it, any, uh, every day is a good day to start for sure. Definitely don't mean to uh, discourage anybody who has not yet started. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for sharing your story and your encouragement. I, I, I feel especially heartened. Um, you know, hearing like how uh, about e even though you have such depth of expertise in this realm um, that, you know, there are still a lot of, you know, struggles, challenges and perspectives that you've wrestled with that that are, are really relatable. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I yeah, I think that hopefully being vulnerable with that experience is helpful for listeners because I think finances are really hard and they are really complicated and intimidating. And, um, you know, the more exposure you have to it and whenever you're comfortable to get started is, is great. Um, but yeah, it's not, I don't think it's something that is easy for most people. And, um, I have a lot of faith that, that your listeners will figure it out. Hey there. Thanks for listening. And if you would like some support in finding that intersection between your dreams and your priorities and your resources, as always, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co.